to Mark chapter 6 this morning, Mark chapter 6. I had one of the nursery workers tell me that if I'm excessively long this morning, they plan to come knock on this door. So, (laughs) Brother Matt and Austin, y'all be ready to jump up if they do. We're going through this gospel of Mark, and I have enjoyed it so far. I hope that you have as well. We're just going verse by verse through... Uh, through the gospel, and we have made it to, I think, our 19th sermon, and we're in Acts chapter 6 today in verses 14 through 29. And as I was preparing for this section over the last several weeks and reading through it and praying through it, um, a, a chorus kept coming back to my mind as I would read through it, and it's an old chorus that I'm sure most of you know that uh, I'm going to ask you to sing along with me just a cappella this morning. Uh, a simple song of dedication that says, I have decided to follow Jesus. Would you sing that with me? I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning Though none go with me, though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, No turning back, no turning back. And the world behind me, the world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me. No turning back, no turning back. I've entitled this message, No Turning Back, because as we look at the life, and especially the end of the life of John the Baptist, he was a man who was dedicated to Christ, and nothing was going to turn him around from his dedication to follow the Lord. We saw last week in verses 7 through 13 that Jesus has sent the apostles and his followers out into the region to minister both in teaching and in doing miracles. It is certainly a transitional time as Jesus now is no longer just doing the miracles and just doing the teaching, but now he has sent those who are following him out to do that. It is, as we said last week, kind of a short-term mission trip, a trial run. And right in the middle of this account of Jesus sending out the apostles, between them going out and between them coming back in to report uh, how their short-term mission trip went, right in the middle of this, we see that Mark is is rehearsing the account of the execution of John the Baptist. That This doesn't happen. The, The execution of John the Baptist doesn't happen right here in this story. He goes back and he rehearses this account right in the middle of 
the story. Word is spreading fast about the teaching and the miracles of Jesus Christ. And for some reason, as you'll see as we read this, Herod becomes convinced that Jesus is not really Jesus. Jesus is John the Baptist risen from the grave. And so since he has uh, beheaded John and executed John, he becomes fearful now that that John the Baptist is back from the dead and that he is coming after him. Why, why did Mark stop and record this right here? It's because of where the disciples were. It is because of what they were going out to experience. And listen, it is this, that the life and the death of John the Baptist is a reminder both to the apostles and to you and I, especially the apostles, in this day, what they could expect as followers of Jesus Christ. John the Baptist, of course, the Bible says he was the forerunner of Jesus. He was the last of the Old Testament prophets. And Jesus made this statement about John the Baptist, that he was the greatest of all the prophets. And he was also the cousin of Jesus. Another interesting thing about this little section that we're in today is that it is the only account in Mark's gospel that is not about Jesus. Just this one little section, he, he goes back and he records about John the Baptist. It is the only section not about Jesus, and it is focused on the final days of John the Baptist, reminding the apostles and us that as Paul says in Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 20, for our conversation is in heaven, from whence we also look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, as believers, you and I are not looking uh, to, to live and to enjoy the pleasures of this life. We are looking for another country. We are pilgrims on this earth. This is not our residence. And so he reminds them of that as he... Uh, goes back to this account of John the Baptist. If you're able to stand, let's stand for the reading of God's Word in verses 14 through 29. I'll read aloud. You can follow along. And King Herod heard of him, Jesus, for his name was spread abroad. And he said that John the Baptist was risen from the dead, and therefore, many, uh, therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. Others said that it is Elias. Some had said Jesus was Elias. Some said that he was John the Baptist. Others said that he is a prophet or one of the prophets. But when Herod heard thereof, he said, It is John whom I beheaded. He is risen from the dead. For Herod himself had sent forth and laid hold upon John and bound him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. For John had said unto Herod, It is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. Therefore Herodias had a quarrel against him and would have killed him, but she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and a holy, and observed him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. And when a convenient day was come, that Herod on his birthday made a supper to his lords, the high captains and the chief estates of Galilee, and when the daughter of the said Herodias came in and danced and pleased Herod and them that sat with him, the king said unto the damsel, Ask of me whatsoever thou wilt, and I will give it thee. And he sware unto her, Whatsoever thou shalt ask of me, I will give it thee unto the half of the kingdom. In other words, 
up to half of my kingdom, anything you ask, I will give it to you. And she went forth and said unto her mother, what shall I ask? I'm sure she didn't get the answer she wanted. Realizing that she could have had half the kingdom, her mother said, the head of John the Baptist. And she came in straightway with haste unto the king and asked, saying, I will that thou give me by and by in a charger the head of John the Baptist. And the king was exceeding sorry. Yet for his oath's sake and because of his pride and him having to give this account in front of all of these people, these leaders, for their sakes which sat by him, he would not reject her. And immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought. And he went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head in a charger and gave it to the damsel. And the damsel gave it to her mother. And when his, his disciples heard of it, they came and took up his corpse and laid it in a tomb. Sounds like an encouraging, lighthearted sermon this morning, doesn't it? The beheading of John the Baptist. And yet there's great lessons in this for you and I this morning. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would take your word and that you would speak to our hearts this morning through the Spirit of God. Thank you for the life and testimony of John the Baptist. And Lord, I pray that you would help us as your followers to learn from his life this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. It's Leonardo da Vinci that said, While I thought I was learning to live, I have been learning to die. And the Bible reminds us that unless you and I happen to go out on the rapture bus that goes to heaven, that we all have an appointment with death. It is appointed unto man once to die and after this, the judgment. And so the real question that we need to ask ourselves this morning as we look at the life of John the Baptist is, what am I living for? And what am I dying for? Because we are all going to die. As I sit at my desk each and every day, there is a a card there with a reminder in front of it that my father used to say often in his preaching, and that was that only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. We only have one shot. We only have one life. And in the account before us this morning, we're introduced to the lives of four people, people who lived their lives for very different purposes. We see Herod, a man who lived for pleasing people and power. We see Herodias, uh, a woman who lived for power and prestige. We're introduced to Herodias' daughter, who history tells us her name was Salome, a young woman who lived for pleasure. And then finally we see a man, an old, a prophet named John the Baptist, a man who lived and he died for the kingdom of God, a man who exemplified seeking first the kingdom of God. And as Mark rehearses this account, it's there for us to learn from the life of John the Baptist. What are the characteristics in his life that we need to see in our own lives? And we see these right out of the text this morning. The first one that we see is in verse number 18, and that is John's boldness. We talked about this this morning in our faith group as well, that there is a great need in our society for Christians who are suppressed to be bold in what we believe by our society, that there is a great need for us to have the strength to have holy boldness to speak up for God and His Word. 
John was a man that we can learn from in this family. Why was John in prison? Why is there such conflict between him and the the royal family? Well, look at verse number 18. It gives us the answer. For John had said unto Herod, It is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. This is what we would call the direct approach, right? Just tell it like it is. And John was that type of person. He just told it like it was. And just to, to give you a little of the backstory, and it is, it's a soap opera. Herod and his wife, his first wife, had gone to Rome to visit Herod's brother, Philip, and his wife, Herodias. And while they were there, Philip, uh, excuse me, Herod and Herodias uh, became involved in an adulterous relationship and an affair. They decided to leave their spouses for each other. And what made matters worse was that Herodias was not only his sister-in-law, but she was also his niece. And so on top of that, by marrying his brother's wife, he not only violated an important marriage treaty causing political unrest, but he also violated Jewish law found in Leviticus chapter 18 and and chapter 20. It seems that everywhere that John would preach, he would call out the unlawful marriage of Herod and Herodias. It was not anything that was private. Everybody knew what had happened. And John is fearless in his confrontation of sin and his bold call for repentance. And I love this, that not even the king gets a pass when it comes to sin. When there is public sin, then it should be called out publicly by the men of God, by the people of God. And listen, there are going to be times in our lives as believers, there's going to be times when there's public sin that we have to be bold in our proclamation of the truth of God's Word and call sin what it is. To confront sin in someone's life, a sin. You say, why would we do that? Because that sin is harming them. That sin is destroying them. That sin is bringing shame to the name of Jesus Christ to the testimony of Christ. And so John the Baptist confronted and addressed public sin even in the most powerful and threatening leaders of his day. Whether it was political leaders or whether it was religious leaders, John would call them out on their hypocrisy, their deceit, or their sensual sins. He had a conviction to speak for God rather than to please people. And we do know that the apostles learned from the life of John the Baptist. This is why Mark brings it out here. They did learn from him. Acts chapter 5 and verse number 29 records that Peter and the other apostles answered and said this, we ought to obey God rather than men. And let me just say this for a moment, that we are responsible as believers to submit and to obey the authorities that God has placed over us politically until they contradict our God. And we need boldness to stand and to say, this book and our God trumps any earthly king or any man-made script. There is a great need for this in our world today that we need the boldness of God. Paul would later write in Galatians chapter 1 and verse number 10, For do I now persuade God or men? Do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, notice it, if I seek to please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Again, Ephesians 4.15 gives us our mandate and our standard, and that is that we are to speak the truth in love. 
Paul wrote to his son Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.2, Preach the word, Timothy. Be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. And we live in a day, an age, where boldness on scriptural authority is considered intolerant. And today we need to learn from the life and the ministry of John the Baptist that we as believers, we don't need to be arrogant, we don't need to be prideful, we need to be loving when we do it, but we need to be committed to boldly speaking the truth of God's Word. It's going to get more difficult if you haven't figured that out. We're going to look weirder and weirder. I don't know if that's a word, but you know what I mean. We're going to look more and more strange, more and more peculiar as we do. But listen, we need to come back today and be reminded that this book is our standard. And we will stand before God one day and give an account for it. We need to learn from John in this area and the, and the apostles, I love Acts 4 and verse 13 where John and Peter, it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Or as the Apostle Paul would say in Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 20, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, notice, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. That's the testimony of John the Baptist, isn't it? That even in his death, Or in life, he was bold and he stood and he preached the whole counsel of God. And as you and I are sent out as ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ, we too need to learn today. And we need to be a church who is committed to bold proclamation of the truth of God's word. May that always be said about us. But then also we see not only John's boldness, which all of us could use a good dose of, but John's goodness and his holiness. I love verse number 20. Notice it again. Herod feared John, mark this, knowing that he was a just man and a holy man. He respected him. John's boldness, look, John's boldness is balanced with goodness and holiness. You know what he's saying? His life backed up his message. How he lived backed up what he proclaimed. I want you to mark those two, those, those two little words in verse number 20, observed him. I love that. It's a sobering reminder that your neighbors and my neighbors and the people in our community are observing us. They're watching us. They know what we say we stand for. Brother Keith, they know what we proclaim with our lips, but they're wanting to watch and see if we truly live out what we say we believe. What a testimony John the Baptist had that even though he was bold in his preaching and he was bold in his call for repentance, he was respected by Herod. It says he was was a just man or he was a good man. Goodness is, is what? Goodness is, is doing what is right in attitude and action for the benefit of others. A good person thinks about others. A good person is concerned about others. A good person will sacrifice their time and their money and their resources for other people. 
A good person wants to be helpful and a blessing to other people. It is a key component of who God wants us to be. Again, another quote that my dad used to say all the time around our house was, uh, Others, Lord, yes, others, let this our motto be. Help us to give or live for others that we might live for Thee. And listen, a lot of us could just use a, a good dose of goodness. Of justness. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22 says that the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our, li- in our lives. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, patience. Galatians 6.10, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them that are of the household of faith. Romans 15.4, I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. You see, when you're filled with all goodness, you can speak with boldness like, like John the Baptist did, and it will be received. These are key components that go hand in hand. Uh, If you forget everything else, remember this, that goodness opens the door for, for boldness to be received. Goodness in our life opens the door for us to stand up and boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are plenty of people in our world who are bold. And they're also rude and arrogant and unkind. And they don't have the ears of a lot of people. Romans 12 verse 21 says this, Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Listen church, there's power in goodness. Be kind to people. Be good to people. Treat them well. Tip your waiters and waitresses better than anybody else does. And then leave a gospel track for them to read it. Don't leave them your leftover change in a tract and expect them to pick it up and read it. They're not going to. They're going to be ticked off at you. We, we need to be people who are known for, for our goodness, for people who are people of integrity and honesty and consistency. And John had this goodness quality about him. Was he bold? Did he preach repentance? Absolutely. But we even see in the life of Herod that he heard him that he had some type of affection for him, that even though his wife wanted him killed, he did not want him killed, and he listened to him. And Mark records that that Herod recognized this holy character of John the Baptist. Not only was he good, but notice he also says that he was a holy man. Hagios is this word. It means different. It means set apart. It means distinct. It means this, to be set apart for God and by God. And this is important to remember that Herod knew this about John the Baptist. He was from God. He was a man of God. He he was separated by God and for God. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 15, Peter says, But as he which hath called you is holy, then he gives us this command, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. As Christians, we're called to be set apart for God's glory and as a testimony of the change that salvation makes in our life. Holiness is about living a life for the glory of God. And we don't hear a lot about it today, but I still believe that the Bible preaches that God's people ought to be a holy people. 
separated unto God, that people ought to be able to see, see a distinctiveness in our life. And by the way, it's not a list of outward things that you do and don't do. It begins on the inside. And then as we are committed to the Lord and pleasing the Lord, it comes out certainly in our life. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9 says this, But ye are, speaking to believers, you, this morning, you are a chosen generation, you are a royal priesthood, you are a holy nation, you are a peculiar people. That ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Why are you and I going to be tagged peculiar? Because we're not a part of the darkness. There's something different about our life. And so our holy life puts God's goodness and God's glory and God's grace on display. And it brings light in the midst of darkness. Paul wrote this in 1 Thessalonians 4, 7. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. Church, God still expects his people to be set apart from the world. Come out from the world and be ye separate. We still need to learn from the life of John this element of holiness, this element of goodness, this element of boldness. And thirdly, and I'm briefly going to mention this, this point, but I love this point, and that is John's approachability. John's approachability. Look at verse number 20, speaking of Herod. And when he, Herod, heard him, he did many things, note this, and he heard him what? Gladly. Even though John the Baptist was a man who called him out privately and publicly, he did so. Even Herod came to hear him. You want to know why? He was approachable. He was good. He was just. He was holy. And he had a concern for Herod's soul. Herod saw something in him. We could say it like this, he wasn't a jerk for Jesus, because I've seen some of those. Listen, if you're a part of the Jerk for Jesus Club, get out of it, all right? People don't listen to these kind of people. Understand this, the way that we talk, the way that we listen or don't listen, the way that we respond, our body language, and how we communicate it will either open doors for us to share the gospel or it will close doors. If you want to be in the Jerk for Jesus Club, you've just closed a lot of doors. So stand and boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, but be a good person to people. Treat them well. Be holy. Have a life that they can look at and say, there's something different about that life. And then be someone who's approachable, Dave. Just just be somebody that they feel like they can talk to, that you care for them. And then when you have the opportunity, share with them the life-changing message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You'll be surprised how much they'll listen to you when they respect your life. And then the last thing this morning, and the most obvious thing about John the Baptist's life that we need to see and learn from, is his sacrifice. His sacrifice. We see this in verses 24 through 29. And I want you to mark this down this morning. That following Jesus 
calls for sacrifice of temporary things and pleasures. And sometimes even the sacrifice of temporary life. I want to repeat that again. That following Jesus always calls for sacrifice of temporary things and pleasures. And sometimes even the sacrifice of temporary life. Is that not what John the Baptist's life teaches us? And unlike many of the teachings today in quote-unquote churches, the Bible is very clear. There is no following Jesus without sacrifice. Sacrifice is the essence of Christianity. And didn't Jesus display that on the cross? When he sacrificed his very life for you and I? Sacrifice is the essence of Christianity. And to be real honest, it's a concept that American Christians have a really hard time, including me, grasping this kind of sacrifice that John the Baptist had. A lot of us have trouble sacrificing 10% of our income. Some of us have trouble sacrificing a few hours out of our week. We have trouble sacrificing stopping in the middle of our day to share the gospel with someone that God wants us to share about, to share the gospel with. And John sacrificed his life. It all started at a sensual worldly party. And I love what John Phillips wrote. When drinks are flowing, passions are inflamed, morals are lowered, and restraints are removed, nothing good happens. And I would say amen to that. Things begin to spiral out of control. And Herod does something that he regrets doing because he genuinely respected John the Baptist. Verse 27 says, a soldier beheaded John in the prison. And why is this important? Because 11 of the 12 of those apostles who went out on this short-term mission trip would give their lives as martyrs for Jesus Christ. One would be exiled on an island. The other 11 would give their life. Instead of a false message that if you come to Jesus, he will make you rich and he will make you healthy and you will have a life that is full of temporary blessings, I need to tell you what the Bible actually says. That if you come after Jesus, that it will cost you That it is a life of sacrifice. And if you jumped into Christianity looking for an earthly benefit plan, you jumped in with the wrong reasons. And you were greatly misled. The Bible says in Romans 12 and verse 1, as Paul is preaching, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, there it is again, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Listen, just because we're holy and just because we're filled with goodness and just because we approach life with boldness does not mean that sacrifice is removed from our life. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 9, If any man will come after me, I will bless him with all riches and... And health, no, that's not what he said. 
if any man will come after me, let him what? Say it loud. Deny himself. Say the next phrase. Take up his cross daily and what? Follow me. Then the real hammer comes down. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever, thank goodness for this part right here. Think John the Baptist is thankful for this? But whosoever will lose his life for my sake. Was that John the Baptist? It was. The same shall save it. God has a great purpose for our life. But I want you to know this this morning, and I never want to be someone who misleads you. You give your life to Jesus Christ, it will take sacrifice. It will take dying to self. You'll have to give up your own way. You'll be tempted to hang on to your life, to do what you want, to be selfish, and to make life all about yourself. But the call from God is to give up our life for the sake of Christ and his kingdom. Or as Paul said in a summary of his life, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. When our life is to live for Christ, then dying is gain. The one of whom it was said by Jesus, John the Baptist, who we're looking at his, the end of his life, Jesus said this about him, there is not a greater man risen than John the Baptist. What a compliment from God himself. The greatest of all men, he went into his glorious eternal home. He received his full reward for faithful, uncompromising service to his blessed God. And then as I was reading this, I, I couldn't help of this little bookmark that's in my Bible of our very own Elijah Beatty, who just last year said these words, it's worth it, send me. Today his mother is on that same trip with some of his brothers. You know why? Because for them to live is Christ. To die is gain. Do you believe that? Do you believe that it's worth it? I love that little song. Used to sing it all the time in church with my dad. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small. Again, American Christianity has a very hard time grasping this because we are so tempted to live for the temporary pleasures of this life. And we'll never have this kind of attitude until we commit to learn from the life of John the Baptist and the other apostles. Let's be bold. Let's do good. Let's live holy lives separated unto God. Let's be people who are approachable. And let's be people who are willing to sacrifice for the Lord.